Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I'm Jordan Downer-Coltman. I'm joined by Elliot Tanti and Braden Downer-Coltman. Uh, it is, what, what is it, like six days, five days away, I guess now. You're listening to this on the Monday. Five days in the trade deadline. We're going to talk about that. we got lots to go through. Busy weekend in the world of sports and some uh, fun for you, too. Before we do that, really, really quickly, obviously, the F1 season's back. We had our first episode of Pit Stop. And Elliot, you must be uh, just on cloud nine. Max Verstappen increasing the gap uh, from last year. Although I will say, after him, including his teammate, everything's kind of constantined together there's a fun big word for you but you must be feeling pretty good right as the biggest max for stappen and and uh, christian horner defender we have on this show yeah it's a constantina of uh elation over here in the tandy household long live red bull and comfortable with the facts that red bull has just decided not to uh, move forward with their investigation any further into uh, christian horner and the illicit uh, text messages with his former assistant yeah, I mean, they are, they are who we said they were. <laughs> All right. All right, let's get to it. Here's topic one. Yeah, we're not talking about that one on this show. If you want to hear more about that, go uh, go listen to the Pit Stop podcast. Uh, Tyler and I discussed a little bit. We'll talk about it again this week following the Bahrain Grand Prix. Braden, we're going to talk uh, some NHL Oilers news. Obviously, they had a very great evening this evening. We're recording this Sunday night uh, against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Pretty dominant performance. Nice to see a backup goalie come in after Stewart already had a pretty great game the other night against Seattle. And then you have your backup goalie also only allowing a goal. And it seems to be the formula when the Oilers can prevent uh, themselves from being scored on for two or less goals. They seem to win every hockey game, which is great. It's a simple formula. They just got to stick to it. And look, they played when they've played well. That's how they've found success. Um, before we get to what they will be looking to do on Friday for yourself, we haven't been talking in a few weeks, like where, where's your sort of feeling right now on the Oilers? Are we, are we feeling comfortable with how they're playing? Are you feeling worried about anything with how they're playing? Where's sort of, you know, wellness check, I guess. I feel good about what's going on. It's like I said, in the last episode, I'm thrilled to see, um, depth scoring. We're seeing, you know, uh, our third, fourth lines actually producing points, which is just fantastic. And the defense is, and it, it, like it's it's holding up. Um, we saw a switch here, I think tonight for the first time with Darna and Nurse, and I I kind of liked what I was seeing. Elliot, I'll uh, I'll ask you again before we get to the trade deadline part of it. You know, you're you tend to be a slightly more cynical or or, or skeptical Oilers fan, uh, at least amongst the three of us. Where are you right now? You know, we've, we've seen a team that obviously had some pretty phenomenal run of success there with back-to-back win streaks. And then they kind of, you know, the stumbled a little bit after that loss in Vegas, got back on their feet. We're seeing a team, at least that, as I say, when they keep the scoring down, seems to be very successful. But where are you? How are you? Where's your, your, your sort of radar on where they're at right now? Yeah, it's tough to argue with the results right now. It's like four straight, fourth straight win, a bunch of wins at home. Uh, the team is playing well. Hyman's having an outstanding season, and that continues. Um, but I, I think it all comes down to defense and goaltending. And right now, they're getting good defense and good goaltending, and that's what we're seeing in terms of you know the outcomes and success. You've mentioned that. I have a little bit of apprehension about just how many games they're going to have to play over the next six weeks to close out their season, and what's going to be left in the tank for the playoffs. That would be my only concern. That's cynical, Elliot talking. Um, but other than that, they're rolling. They're playing well. Uh, I think they're incredibly well coached. I've been very impressed with Knobloch and and what he's been able to do, or as Brings says, Knobcock. And um, that I think the the line shifts, and I I think 
Paul Coffey's influence on the defensive squad has really, you know, been good. And we're, we're reaping the benefits of those people. So uh, all in all, I think it's like eight, nine out of 10. You have to be happy. It's the loss in Calgary. They played well. So let's, it's a good time to just transition there for me. Let's talk about the trade deadline. And I say it's a good transition because we'll start going backwards a little bit. We've seen a couple of big dominoes fall. And I think it will impact the Oilers based strictly on the fact that many of those dominoes have a relationship to the Pacific division. First off, Calgary clearly in a position where unlikely at this point, they're going to find themselves in a playoffs position when all the chips fall They're They're certainly, you know, riding a bit of a hot streak right now, but they've already started moving a piece, some pieces out. We've, we've seen that already. Lindholm obviously going to Vancouver earlier, right before the all-star break. And now most recently, Chris Tanev going uh, to Dallas. When you look at what else has happened in the Pacific, Vancouver's made uh, quite a few moves uh, on top of the Lindholm one. Um, but now Dallas is in the central, you've got some movement around what, whether or not, um, you know, Vegas or LA is going to try to decide whether or not they're buyers here. Where do the Oilers need to improve most Braden, when you look at how their playoff picture uh, shapes up? Well, we've been fortunate enough not to see injuries happen for the Oilers in the last couple of years. And I think, I mean, you can't, you can't get any deeper than adding another another scoring winger um you know i think that they're gonna have to i know that they were probably pretty hot on trying to get tanev in but that would be an impressive addition to that back end but they're gonna want to they're gonna want to improve in as many areas as they can i think that they've determined that goaltending is one that they're gonna kind of hold pat on um but i think wing some some more depth wing scoring is is gonna is gonna improve uh their chances in the playoffs do you have any specific targets you'd be going after if you were sitting wow. in Ken Holland's chair? Man, this is the thing is like the, the assets going back that that's, I mean, that's the, that's the game. I, I would love for Gensel to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I would love for a David Perron an Anthony Duclair, uh, an Anthony Meth, like a, 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 one of those, like, I mean, we've got a plethora of Kane and and Fogle and Perry, like these rugged, getting the getting the paint, chip away. You know, Hyman's forty goal scorer now, and and he's you know that that sort of mold, and it's working for our team. So, adding a adding a player like that, I would I would love to see Anthony Duclair and and uh, Ferraro come back from Saturday. All right, Elliot, I'll turn it to you too then. Where, where for you are the biggest Oiler priorities or the pieces that you think are most critical for Ken Holland to shore up going into a playoff run? Yeah, I'm not that far off from Braden. I, I do think they are going to add a defenseman, like, you know, a 7-8, maybe a 6-7. That would be good. I don't have a name for you in, the, in that sense, but that just tends to be kind of like Holland's move is like get an extra defenseman at the deadline. I also do agree that another scoring winger would help this team. I think it would round out the top six. The name I would throw out there is Tyler Toffoli, who still who still got it. Uh, and I think just more likely to happen based solely in the fact that he's with the Devils and it's the Eastern Conference and it's easier to make a deal. Um, but that tends to matter less and less these days now. Like teams are more willing to trade in their division than, than and in their conference than they have in the past. Uh, but that would be the name that I would target. Yeah, I think they could use a little bit more scoring and a little bit more depth there. And, uh, you know, they're going to get a 7-8 defenseman. Lots of people in Edmonton right now are talking about three names. So maybe, you know, you've got someone going out that's actually, you know, a regular everyday starter here. 
That that would be I, I would if you put the over under on two and a half in terms of new names that are going to be here after Friday, I feel like we might be over. Holland is very good at the trade deadline. Think about last year. Think about every year he's been the GM. He's always brought someone in. Has it always worked out? Absolutely not. But Ekholm has been was a slam dunk trade. So that would be I, I think we're going to see three names this year. They're going for it. It's his last year. That would be my guess. The reason that Ekholm was so successful in a, in a, as a trade is that there was term on him. Like you look at these rental options, and yeah, they're going to help you this year. But after that, we're down assets. Uh, look at look at how good the Nick Bukestad rental was for us. It was great, but we lost uh, a prospect in Michael Kesslering, who's now Arizona's number two defenseman. Like it's it's this give and take of how much how much are we willing to give away for you know the 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 one-year chance it'd be great for them to bring in another sort of you know heavy hitter with term Uh, i'm looking at colton pareko i'm looking at guys like uh, you know the the challenge with that though in the long term is is how are you going to fit them under the cap and and obviously you're, it's how you're fitting them under the cap comes into the conversation Elliot's having, which is like, what are the pieces that you're, you know, when you have a piece going out, what's coming back in? Obviously, for at home with the Tyson Berry piece, you know, there was definitely, we all had some questions around how that was going to play out. We were worried a little bit about the power play. Obviously, Evan Bouchard solved that problem. Um, I would say uh, this is, I guess, the question maybe to flip it around. I'm like, for you, Braden, what are the, what are the current NHL everyday players on the Oilers that you think could be removed from the equation and not necessarily, um, I don't know, cost the Oilers uh, success currently? You know, obviously it depends on what the return is. That's a key piece here. But let's just say, for the sake of saying it, there's some clear untouchables. Yeah. If everybody else is on the table, you know, where are you comfortable seeing guys go? Current NHL players, Brett Kulak would be one name. I think he's sitting around 2.75. Uh, we've got Fogel, who's, who's who's just north of 3 million. Like these are productive guys, but I think if you could bring in somebody with term that had uh, a bit of salary retention coming back as well, uh, there's, there's flexibility there for sure. Uh, I would say those would be the places that I would start. I mean, Pipe dream, you know, Hail Mary would be to to shed yourself of Jack Campbell, but I just don't think that any team's going to help you out with that one. Uh, Elliot, same names for you, or is there other pieces that you would be looking to say sayonara to? Yeah, I mean, like, what's the bigger Hail Mary, Campbell or Connor Brown? <laughs> you know, like, that would be the other one that I'd say, like, okay, well, this clearly has not worked. Um, although I still do hold out hope that Connor Brown's going to get one empty net goal and then score <laughs> 10 goals in three games or something. In the, all in the playoffs. Turn yeah. Into Fernando Pisani. Yeah. Fernando Pisani or even, you know, Yamamoto last year as well too. Yeah. I mean, I think those names are all good. I, I, I think you're talking, if you're going to do something substantive with term, uh, which would be ideal given that this is not the first year of the window. Uh, it's arguably the second and there's probably at least two more to it um then you're talking about broberg right who's not a roster player and i appreciate that he's a significant asset with significant value and it's the first overall pick like i mean i think it's time guys it's you've been arguing this for years and i'm finally on board like uh let's sell the farm literally and figuratively 
uh, it's time to go between Perry, Kane, obviously dry settle coming up on a contract year, McDavid the year after that, they've got to make hay, make hay while the sun's out as my former. But if he's such a, if he's such an asset, like you can't just be flipping him for a rental. No. And I think that's, that's why I'd say if we're talking about term, that's the kind of thing I'd be willing to do for sure is, is exactly that. And like I said, like, I think there's, uh, the, the the window here is not just this year. There's added pressure on this year, I would say, because of the looming contracts for Drysaddle and McDavid. Um, but uh, you know, a rental still a rental at the end of the year or at the end of the day. So let's just for a second put our oiler take our oiler hats off. Where else do you think what who who else in the league do you anticipate may be the biggest movers and shakers come Friday? Obviously, you know, leading up to this point, the Canucks have been one of the most active teams. I don't know how much more they intend to do come Friday, but when you look at who else is out there on the rise or on the downslope, like where do you think there's going to be action? And are the Oilers going to be one of those teams, or is it one or two moves max? Like, where do you think that action could be, Braden? I'm sorry, well, I know I'm kind of on the spot with yeah, you. Yeah, no, I think they're going to make. I think they're going to make two plus moves. Uh, they they they've had a record or a history of doing that. They're in the position that they need to do that, and I think that they will do that. I think that the teams that are going to be selling as much as they can are San Jose, Washington. Um, I think there's some fringe teams that you're looking at that just we need a few more games to know where they actually sit. Like, are they actually going to push for a wild card? But I could see Minnesota moving some players. I mean, they've got looked at some of the the players in their wing, like Ryan Hartman, uh, Zuccarello. There's some there's some really interesting, interesting names available. Arizona's probably going to do their their natural flipping of players. Anaheim, too, has has a, quite a few UFAs. Arizona's an interesting one, though, because every single defenseman that they have signed this year is on a one-year. Every single defenseman is a UFA. So I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, ended up next week without a single defenseman. Um, Elliot, you want to take a crack at that one, too? Who else do you think is the big movers, shakers out there? Yeah, I mean, I think all those are good. We've already mentioned the Flames and Tanovs. There's probably more there in terms of what they're doing. That seems like a bit of a retool. I think the Blues, uh, specifically Bushnevich. How do you say this? Yeah, Bushnevich. Bushnevich. Uh, you know, like rated as like probably a top seven trade target in the NHL right now. You know, that's a name there. There's actually a lot more out of the East than the West, surprisingly. Um but what I feel like is because of the moves of Vancouver specifically, the Golden Knights are going to do something. I think specifically the Pacific Division, it's forcing the Oilers to do something. I, you know, I think the Oilers could be pretty busy leading up to Friday. I, I also think given just the cap, cap constraints, though, and just what's kind of going on in the league, we've seen a couple big moves and some prices set. I think a lot of stuff is going to happen on the trade deadline Friday. I, I, typically, we've seen stuff leading up to it. We haven't seen a lot of that, which always causes like concern and media people say, oh, nothing's going to happen, nothing's going to happen. But I think Friday this year is going to be uncharacteristically busy as teams are wheeling and dealing and retaining salary because they're just taking the best deal that was offered. And you, there's a feeling that you have to do something because someone else is in your division. Well, it's funny you should say that. It's what what's interesting about this Tanev deal is like, why didn't they wait until they had all all the offers coming out? Well, maybe they once? felt they did though, Brady. But that was such a weak return. I have no, I have I'm, no I was surprised idea. By it too. 
what they were thinking. I mean, a second round pick's great, but I think likely could have gotten a first at the deadline. I don't know. It's interesting. It, um, it may say something about the market that they felt they needed to make that deal early rather than late. So my question is then, does the TANF deal an indication that it's a buyer's market or a seller's market? Probably a buyer's market. They didn't spend enough. They didn't have to spend over what, I mean, they spent less than I expected him to go for. So that would tell me that it's a buyer's market, right? They Much less than I more. expected, you know, like, I don't know much about this prospect, but. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's the pretty, it feels like, the, it feels like the stars win that trade on paper to begin with. And that tells you that, you know, if they're the buyer, then it's theirs, I would say, but we'll see. Oh, I guess. We also have to mention like the Maple Leafs will do something. They always do. And it's always crazy. And well, they traded for Labushkin. They, they, so they got their seventh defenseman returned. I just, I don't know what they're going to, I don't, I, I don't know how they, I don't know how they help their team right now. <laughs> Well, I think they, they're one of the few teams that might be interested in a goaltender. I would actually not be surprised if if that's where like a Marc-Andre Fleury goes as a depth move for them because... The Wilds said they're not moving him. Well, then, you know, then it doesn't happen. But teams have said they're not moving somebody maybe until Campbell, the deal gets good Maybe enough. Jack Campbell can go back. And you know, know, one of the things that was interesting about the Ekholm deal was, you know, as Braden said, we had Bouchard to move into a more significant role on the team. Is there an obvious candidate in Edmonton to take over a role that someone else is playing right well, now? But Holloway. the only way to answer Holloway that is not a third line, fourth line guy. He would produce if he had more time on ice. But what I'm saying is the, the, that that question is predicated on where that piece is coming from. Because yes, it would be easy to slot somebody in on the third or fourth line if those are one of the pieces leaving if it's a top six player then there's a different conversation what i would make the argument to be is that we have seen several players uh be capable of stepping up because when you have a player like mcdavid or you have a guy like dry they are able to make those lower um level players appear to be top six guys next to them much easier uh than in other situations so yes if you were let's say to move on from like a a warren fogel if that's the piece that goes out, there are guys below him right now in that depth chart that can still play up in the lineup there. Right. And you have a bit of, I mean, again, Connor Brown offensively struggling. Yes. Connor Brown defensively, one of the best penalty killers in the league right now. And so fitting up, you know, moving him into a different role, how does that affect what's there? We don't know, but you have Gagne, you have some, you just have, and Braden, as you say, with Holloway, you have depth that's there. I think this is one of the better uh, Oilers teams when it comes to third and fourth line depth we've seen in a very long time, not in terms of having standout guys putting crazy numbers up, but consistency amongst those players. And, and as Braden said, lack of injuries has really, really benefited the Oilers. Now at some point, an injury is coming. That's just the reality of how this is. The hope is it's not severe and the hope is it's not in the playoffs, but I think it is wise to, it's not wise to expect you're going to get through an 82 game schedule and a play. Now we didn't, I mean, Holloway was injured, but you know what I'm saying? One of those top guys at some point is going to have something happen and you just have to hope that you've got the depth. What I would, would what I would say is, and it sounds like this is already the case because I think Daniel and Luja Bowman reported it this week. There's no conversation anymore about goaltending. And I think that that's the right approach. This money needs to be spent. The, the cap needs to be spent in a different way. You have arguably one of the top 10, if not even higher level goaltenders on his best day in Stuart Skinner. 
when he's on his game, I think he's an elite goaltender or on his way to being so. I know there's a lot of pushback. Oh, he, you know, he kind of struggled in the playoffs last year. Yeah, he was a rookie. This is year two. He's got a lot more it's experience. Two games away from. And I would also argue watching what Calvin Pickard's done when the opportunity's been there, that's a guy that you can at least rely on down the stretch to help, you know, take a little bit of that load off. Um, and that's what he's been doing now. And if you get into a playoff situation where, you know, you're down awkwardly in one of those weird games, you got to pull your goalie to kind of save face. He might be able to help you save, you know, a third period or something there. And worst case scenario, at least you have a, a goaltender, you know, you know, that could be the UC marketing in the worst case scenario. Hey man, look what Aiden Hill did for the exactly. Vegas. I would, I feel much more comfortable with him back there than we have had in recent years between, you know, the backups that we've been carrying. So is that's all beneficial. Anyway, uh, last thoughts, Braden, before we, uh, jump away from it. I know we're still a week away or five days away from the actual deadline. Things will change, but. I'm anxiously waiting to see what they're going to do. I I think one of the things I'm, I'm most keen to know more about is how many of their like young prospects they're going to flip. I think draft picks are a little bit more valuable for the Oilers to be moving than having their prospects move at this point. Uh, obviously they're of asset, but like, we only have so much cap and if they're making under a mill, they're, they're a value to us still. So moving forward, I'm, I'm very curious to see how many of the, the prospects will actually move. No. The thing, the thing you could do, you could do Kulak Broberg though. And, and you know, it's later funny. I would, I would give up CC before I gave up Kulak. I think that Kulak is a more valuable defenseman to you because he's a strictly defensive defenseman who like never gets in trouble. You know why you don't think a lot yeah. about Kulak? Cause you never talk about Kulak yeah. because he's doing his job. Yeah. But fact, his that time on be, ice is like seven minutes. That's the biggest really compliment. Know. I think we can play to Darnell nurse this year. How often have we talked about Darnell nurse? Nothing because he's doing his job and staying under the radar. He's not, yeah. He's not, yeah. you know, he's sticking to his task. He's in his lane. Everyone's, everyone's accepted his $9 million salary hit. Mm. It's a dumb salary, but at the end of the day, at least he's playing. No, I know. I'm just doing saying, his I, job. I'm agreeing, I'm agreeing with you on that. I just... but Brett Kulak, Brett Kulak for me is a more true defensive defenseman. Yep. At the end of the day. Yep. I, I, I think that would be a mistake myself. But I don't know if anyone's taken CC anyway, so. If you got to give up a defenseman, it's probably got to lose CC. The team just gets so much less attractive. <laughs> All right, let's leave it there. That's topic one. Hey, podcast listeners. My name is Larise Campbell, and along with my co host, former Olympic bobsledder Alicia Olson. I am so excited to introduce you to the Mother Pucker podcast. And if you love the Oilers like we do, you are going to love our show. It's just two gals who aren't afraid to drop the gloves and throw some hot takes about the boys in blue and orange. Whether you're a massive hockey fan like us or just looking for some new voices talking about the Oilers' blue line, or lack thereof, we promise the show is for you. So subscribe now and tell your friends. It's time for the Mother Pucker Podcast. All right, this is the part of the show here for topic two where... I have not prepped these two gentlemen, and I love doing that because Elliot just always, always thrives uh, when asked when, when asked to uh, improvise. We have a couple different game style segments we've played on the show. We've only played this game one time, oh. and it went so well that it ended up on our year end show. So it is not who said what, Elliot. Don't worry. We'll save that for another day. This is the it's other one. what said who? No, this is what is in a name. I have prepared for you uh, yeah. several categories of actual 
uh, sport team names. It's two truths and a lie. You tell me which of the three names I give you I made up and which two are real. They're right. categorized this week by um, sort of their, their league or where they belong. So I have a selection for you and we will flip a coin and the winner will get to pick first. The idea here is to see who can come out with the, uh, the most correct of the two rounds they're going to have. And if it's a tie at the end of the day, you know, you can, you can split the trophy. I'm flipping a coin. Great. And Elliot, you have won the coin toss. Uh, Heads. I'm going to give you the four categories and you may get, you may make the first selection. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Would you like to guess team names from minor league baseball, (laughs) high school uh, sport team names, uh, NCAA, and that could be multiple lower divisions, not just Div 1, or minor league hockey? Hmm. Which is going to be the least embarrassing to get wrong? I guess I'm going to go with high school. High school. That's a good one because that's. I feel like you shouldn't know, won't know many of these high school names, to be fair. So you kind of have to just go off of what sounds the most ludicrous or the most realistic. And now it's kind of a poker game. You decide whether I went with the realistic one or I picked the ones to try to make it seem like that. All right, here they are for you. These are all real American high school athletic department team names. We have the Northwest Space Pioneers. We have the Watersmeet Nimrods. And we have the Centrilia Biscuits. Oh boy. So we got the Biscuits, the Space what? Pioneers. And the Nimrods. I think Nimrods is real. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go with the last one, whatever that one was. The Centrilia Biscuits? Yeah, I don't believe the Biscuits are a real team. All right. So you are correct. That is not a high school team name, but I always try to have a little bit of truth in there. There is a minor league hockey team with the name, the biscuits, which makes sense. Cause uh, it's a nickname for, for Boston. So I took that and I took a real um, high school or a high school name out of uh, central Florida, Centralia, put them together. You were correct. Good. One point for you, Elliot. Don't you love I'm this game sorry. now? Sorry, The Nimrods is a real team. It's a real team. Yeah. Watersmeet. It's a, it's a universe or it's a high school in central Michigan. Watersmeet spelled water S M E E T watersmeet Nimrods. It's a classic right there. They won the uh, state championship in basketball in 1988. So there's a banner somewhere hanging saying state champion Nimrods. Yeah. I, you know, I figured that was. All right. One point to Elliot. Well done. Elliot, uh, you're out to a roaring star. Braden, right. you have three categories, minor league baseball, NCAA or hockey. What do you got? Tails. 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 Oh, uh, let's do baseball. Okay. Minor league baseball. We have the Lee Valley Iron Pigs, the Fort Wayne Tin Cups, or the Pensacola Bottle Boys. The Bottle Boys. That's not real. That's dumb as all. That's so dumb. The Bottle Boys? The Bottle Boys. Although it's got a bit of a ring to it now. The Fort Wayne Tin Cups. Tin Cups. The Lee Valley Iron Pigs. Yeah, that one's real for sure. Uh, Let's go with the Bottle Boys. You are correct. The Pensacola yeah. Bottle Boys. I'm not doing so well on my made up names today. All right. Bottle Boys was just too gendered. You know? Fair enough. Bottle Boys. <laughs> I just don't understand why you have a baseball team named Tin Cups when that's like a golf reference. 
a tin a tin cup. Well, don't you wear a, a tin cup in baseball? Let's hope <laughs> not. That would be uh, quite unpleasant. I Actually, the, I have uh, a fun fact. Chafing. Speaking of this, did you know in the Mariners' forty-four years of uh, existence, they've experienced more ruptured testicles than playoff experience of playoff appearances? Well, how many is that? Uh, five ruptured testicles and on this, uh, on the, four playoff appearances. How many? How many? Uh, were, it were says more, testicles. more than one on one athlete. <laughs> I can't tell you how many athletes. Mm-hmm. So it's like three guys, two and a, two and a <laughs> two half, two each, and then one poor bugger has only got one. That's really unpleasant. One bottle boy. He wasn't wearing a. And were they all in the same season? Like, when when did this occur? Can you imagine oh, in their 44 ruptures? years? Yeah, I know. But of the 44 years, you oh, know, it's like, probably in the same inning. Was it like over the course of five different seasons or like we had two one year and then a decade, no ruptured testicles and then another one. And we need analytics for the rupture. Yeah. Testicles. How many rupture testicles per decade are maybe we talking if, here? Maybe one of our listeners can follow. All right, Elliot. This is your last uh, category here. It's a tie right now. So we have to see if one, I don't have a tiebreaker ready, but I'll come up with something. Uh, NCAA or minor league hockey. I thought we were just going to split the trophy, but I'll go with minor league hockey. Okay. We have the St. John's Fog Devils, the Don Valley Thorough Blades, and the Odessa Jackalopes. Odessa? So you got the jackalopes? The Ukraine? The Thoroughblades? Thoroughblades. The Fog Devils. Yeah, I'll go with the last one again. That does not make any sense to me. Which one? Jackal. The the, the Odessa Jackalopes? Yeah. Is a real minor league hockey team. Yeah. Where is is Odessa? Ukraine? No, 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 no. I think it's in Florida or somewhere in the South. It previously was in the the ECHL, and then they've also played in the IHL, the International Hockey League in in the States. That's a real team. Uh, The one I made up was the Don Valley Thoroughblades, which I think was playing with the idea, you know, like they they like punny names, right? You got the Solar Bears, and now we have the Thoroughblades. I thought it was kind of clever. Yeah, well done there, Jordan. You completely fooled me. Yeah, Ben boozled him. The St. John's Fog Devils. I like that one. That one I knew was real. That's got to be. All right, Braden, that leaves you with the NCAA. All right, I picked the NCAA. Perfect. Uh, All of these are not Div 1 teams. So probably schools you are. All of these are not real teams. No, no, no. They're not Div 1 teams. So they're not teams you're particularly familiar with. I don't think they've ever shown up in like a March Madness bracket. Let's just put it that way. Okay. These are, again... Uh, two of them are real. One of them is made up. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. We have the Webster Gorlocks. Real. Not Warlocks. Gorlocks. Gorlocks, obviously. The East Texas Polytech Quarter Horses. Definitely real. The South Dakota School of Mines and Technologies Hard Rockers. <laughs> They're all real. The Hard Rockers? Yes. I feel like the school name itself isn't real. What, what was the it? The South Dakota School of Mines and Technologies. Mines or mind? Mines. <laughs> Not mimes. Mines. <laughs> mines and technology. I think that's the whole like hard rocker part, right? They're, they're, they're mining for things. Yeah. Oh, I thought they just made landmines. Yeah, I thought so too. But you said mime. No, you just misheard me. Ah, so mine. Mines like a gold mine. Oh, not mines like smart. 
No, no, Braden. There's oh, no I thought university. it was mimes, like, you know, mimes. Yeah, let's go with the first one, the Goldilocks. The Webster Gorlocks? Yeah, that one's terrible. That is 100% real. <laughs> <laughs> what was the fake one? Obviously the not the East hard rocks. Texas Polytech Quarter Horses. The Quarter Horses. Yeah, you don't need to be a quarter horse. You could be a horse. So <laughs> I, I got two right. I beat you twice. You guys each only got one. I think I win. Wait, you no, were we both got one right. So it's two. Yeah, two. you each got one and I got two. You, I, I stumped you twice. I'm the winner. We didn't even know I was playing. I didn't even know we started the coin toss. Anyway, uh, that's another fun round of um, this game. Whatever what we call <laughs> what it. What said who? No, uh, what's in a name? We'll play it again some other time, boys. Until then, let's jump to topic three. Hey, if you're a fan of Formula One, then I've got the perfect podcast for you. The Pit Stop Podcast, presented by the Ordinary Podcasting Network. After every single race of the Formula One schedule, Jordan and Tyler will break it down, give you some news, analysis, insight, before answering your questions and setting you up for the next race. That's the Pit Stop Podcast, available everywhere you get your podcasts. What's topic three? Hats off. Oh, I don't have a hats off. All right, well, well, Elliot's coming up with his hats off because he was ill-prepared. I will go first. I would like to take my hat off to the new scoring record holder for the all-time NCAA record, uh, women's basketball, Caitlin Clark. Uh, just again, phenomenal career, phenomenal athlete. One of those great stories uh, that has been really fun to watch from the outside as someone who doesn't follow uh, her sport, doesn't follow NCAA women's basketball very much at all. Um, but I think that we are seeing a real resurgence in terms of the importance and popularity of the women's game because uh, they're, they're just the headline after headline after headline this year. And for her, she's one of those athletes. that's just going to be real. I'm really excited to see what's next for her as she leaves college and moves into a professional career and what's just there. Um, so really excited for her hats off to Caitlin Clark, Brayden, you were shaking your head. Was that cause I stole your hats off? Yeah. Caitlin Clark is going to be the next great, great basketball player. Um, <clears throat> She will go down as one of the best, greatest of all time. Uh, but I do have a, I do have a, an alternative here, and it's more of an appreciation um, shout out. Hats off! But I'm going to tip my hat to Daniel Ricardo because he finished 13th, which is fine at the Bahrain uh, Grand Prix, the first F1 race. But I'm really tipping my hat to him because uh, this grizzled vet. Held held his own against uh, a whiny upset uh, Yuki Sonoda at the end of the race. If you haven't watched the race, uh, watch the highlights and uh, don't forget to tune in to our other podcast and listen to Pit Stop Podcast. But my hat's off to Denver. Available Tuesday. Yes, Britain. It was an entertaining end to what was kind of a very slow and 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 you know less than what we call it on pit stop is like a, a high event or low event race it was a very low event race are we just gonna and see the same just at the end no i think the we same we, one to 20 no every... i think that we, we are seeing a lot of teams get a lot closer so it, it's gonna get more exciting as we get into the season and some upgrades come in because the teams in the middle are actually going to compete there's like four teams capable of second and third right now and the way that red bull developed their car coming into this year i think we are likely to see uh a much bigger fight up front. They really struggled with pace in qualifying. They just had a really good 
car for the actual race itself, but there's going to come a race here in the next two distant future where like somebody figures something out and they qualify better than them. And it, it doesn't work out. I think that they will still be very dominant, but I don't think it'll be like last year. It just feels like everything's shifting here. We're talking about like Haas in round three and like teams are just, we're at the point in the development of these cars where like it's starting to get tighter. And that's why in two years, then they introduce new power units. It'll open up again. Right on. Well, my hat is tipping off to Danny Ricardo. If you ever need a smile, just go and look at Danny Ricardo. Elliot, who are you taking your hat off to? Last night, the Calgary Flames retired the number 34 for one Mika Kriperskov, who had an outstanding time playing for the Flames and just a good goalie all around. Obviously, backstop them to their Stanley Cup. Final appearance, arguably they should have won the cup that year. If his uh, ankle wasn't any bigger, they would have. Or if they called the rules consistently in the NHL in that decade. Um, but yeah, no, I think Mika Kiprasov, I've sort of over how badly the Flames used to beat the Oilers while he was there and all that he did. Uh, he was an outstanding goaltender, well-deserved honor of him on Saturday night. And I'll tip my hat off to him. Uh, you know, he's a, I always have a place in my heart for goalies, and I think he was an outstanding competitor. Got to see a lot of him being an Oilers fan over the years, and that was sort of my prime hockey-watching days. Uh, really glad. And, uh, you know, credit to the Flames organization for giving him a really good send-off. It was an excellent Saturday night and uh, fully deserved Hats off, Mika Kiprasov. Did you see uh, pregame or I guess the day before, whatever they brought him in, you know, they always do those kind of like ceremonies and dinners and all those things when they do an event like that, try to get the most out of a special night. But they brought the kid who had been little, little Kipper back at those games. You remember that from the early, early aughts? In the stand and now he's like a 25 year old guy, but they brought him awesome. in and it was quite a, I just thought it was a good moment. It was a nice little throwback there. There's been a fair bit of nostalgia in the NHL in the last couple of weeks, the green men returning to Vancouver and all kinds of these throwbacks to the early, uh, the early years, but yeah, a good one, Elliot. I appreciated that one. Uh, Braden yours was good too. Um, thank you everybody for listening. We appreciate it. Um, please, if you haven't already hit subscribe, share with a friend. Let us know what you think. And until next week, that was Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler Coltman and Braden Dyler Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.